fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Monday, greatest day of the entire week and a shorter week, my friends. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. Thanksgiving right around the corner. And I have good news for you. I have solved my problem with the Thanksgiving turkey. I have solved my problem with the Thanksgiving eating. I, my friends, have solved the problem with the Thanksgiving gorging that leads you into a food coma while you try to watch NFL games or try to ignore the mass amounts of people that are around you during Thanksgiving, whatever you end up doing. You have now a solution, my friends. Apparently, there is now a new pill that you can take to not eat more food than you need to on Thanksgiving. Wow. Who would have thought? You don't need self-control at all. We're going to rely strictly on the pharmaceutical industry to do it for us. Oh, yeah. I'm serious. The Associated Press, they're out now. The new anti-obesity pill that has come out called Wigovi. All you got to do is take a pill of Wigovi and it limits the amount of food that you want to eat. And no longer do you have those cravings to gorge yourself. No, No longer do you have to worry about overeating yourself, gaining weight for the holidays, taking that food coma nap during the friends and family time over, having to miss any of your football game. All you got to do is take the anti obesity pill and therefore you will thrive, my friends. Welcome to the world where you have no more self-control. You have no more of your self-reservation. Just gorge yourself. Totally cool. And just take that pill, and that way you can take care of it yourself. <laughs> I love this. I lo- This is the world that we are in today, right? It's because you would think that some people, they're obsessed with eating, Andy. They just have a problem. They can't control themselves. It, so wouldn't you want to fix that to be a self-control problem? I get it. Yeah, you know what? The holidays, you probably eat more than you should. And that's usually okay. If you have an obesity problem, then maybe that should be a little bit more of a sign to where you're going to put pressure on your heart and not have your heart stop because you're gorging yourself or overeating. I don't know. Learn a little bit of self-control. Not that the people struggle with that. I get it. People have addiction issues. Totally understand. But, man. How to make life so much easier. All you got to do is take that Wagovi, according to the Associated Press. After one individual lost nearly 100 pounds using medications, including Wagovi, a powerful new anti-obesity drug, they say that the, quote, food noise in her head is gone and very quiet. Quote, last year it felt so lovely just to be able to enjoy my meal, focus on being fr- uh, with friends and family, and to focus on the joy of the day. It was a whole new experience millions of americans this almost sounds like an ad from the associated press millions of americans struggling with obesity gain access to a new generation of weight loss drugs they say that the experience is becoming more common and more noticeable at the times when the year is the time of cooking eating and a sense of abundance can define and heighten gatherings of loved ones and friends medical experts and consumers say the drugs are shifting not only what used what users eat but also the way that they think about food as well. There it is. No longer, my friends, do you need to worry about that overeating or gaining weight during the holidays. Just take the anti-obesity pills and it changes your thoughts for the day. Wow. I know what I'm doing for Thanksgiving now. I'm going to eat so much ridiculous food. It's insane, right? (laughs) 
Welcome into the show. we got a lot to get to today. We're going to have fun over the next couple days with Thanksgiving. We'll still talk about a lot of issues going on, but we are going to have some fun as well leading up to it. I want to ask you the question, which you can send me the message all over social media at Hoosier Reason, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason, or at HoosierReason.com on your favorite Thanksgiving dish. I still have the question out there, how many people still eat the cranberry sauce? Because cranberry sauce, I don't see it as often, and... I've never had the canned stuff, but my grandma's cranberry sauce was amazing, and I eat it once a year, and now I think I had the recipe. My grandma's in Ohio, so she can't really just make it and bring it on over. Uh, she's in Ohio, so I think I had the recipe, and I need to make it this year because that's something that we don't usually have. Got to give it a try. All right, coming up on the show, bottom of the hour, I'm going to slaughter her name, and I feel absolutely horrible about it, Kristen Van Uden. She is the author of the book, When the Sickle Swings. She talks about persecuted Christians in communist nations. And are we on the same path here in the United States with the ongoing, uh, I know the Democrats are already like, oh, the virtual signaling already begins and all the culture war already begins because the Christians always believe that they're under attack during the holidays. And I'm not saying that we are right now, but I am saying that there's an ongoing attack worldwide with certain religions, whatever religion that may be. Jews are obviously being persecuted in the Middle East. Christians being persecuted in China. I did see a headline just a couple days ago about a church of about 30 individuals being arrested because, well, they believed in the Christian faith and they were being persecuted. So is that ongoing in the world? How bad is it? And what can we do to try and bring awareness to that issue? We'll talk with Christian about that uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. Also, today's a very big day. Today's a big one. We need to bring awareness to what today is if you're not aware. What's trending today? Today is a very big day. We need to celebrate. We need to sing happy birthday to the individual. <laughs> Let's go into the Biden basement. I mean, that's where he is. He can't get out of the basement now because he can't lift his feet enough, to. so he just kind of shuffles around. Maybe he's got an elevator in his room. I don't really know. But nonetheless, happy birthday to... The so-called president of the United States, Joe Biden, uh, getting his marching orders from Barack Obama still and still trying to live the glory days in the Oval Office while he can't remember his name half the time, mumbles around in every single speech, can't take any questions from the press and makes about a 10 minute speech and then shuffles back off into the Air Force One where he takes a nap and sleeps for the rest of the afternoon. Happy 81st birthday to the president of the United States. While many are concerned about his age, even on the Democrat side of the aisle, they're trying to bring in Donald Trump as well because Donald Trump's getting up in age as well. And maybe we shouldn't have such old leaders of the free world as Joe Biden is the oldest president in American history. And I will say, while we've seen some catastrophes and disasters in uh, Washington, D.C., regarding the old age of individuals from Joe Biden not cognitively there at all in any way, shape or form, with Dianne Feinstein, who just recently passed away at the age of 90 while still in office, no clue what she was doing while during the latest hearings that we heard and the audio that we had of her just mumbling on and just ranting on about something when all they were trying to do was do a roll call. We have Mitch McConnell that just freezes up during press conferences, although his team says that he's completely healed, he's rehydrated again, everything's hunky-dory. I failed to see whether that's actually going to solve issues or not, but nonetheless, we've seen some age issues happen in Washington, D.C. And I guess while that happens, I would respond by saying I don't know that it's necessarily an age issue, but it's an ability issue. Can you do the job? 
Are you physically able to do the long hours that needs to be done in Congress when you're debating bills and staying in Congress until 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to vote on issues? Are you physically able to do that? Are you physically able to travel back and forth between Washington, D.C. and your districts to talk to town halls, talk to people, keep a cognitive ability to hold those thoughts and actually the memory of what you discussed and be able to take them back to D.C. to fight for those issues? Are you physically able to handle that task and are you cognitively able to handle the task? And while they're trying to say, well, Donald Trump's almost as old as Joe Biden, I think he needs to be out too if you're talking about old age. He can handle it. In fact, he's still that type A personality that gets about three to four hours of sleep and goes to massive rallies that bring in 30,000 people and then shows up in court and fights a court system. So as of right now, he's not proving to be cognitively not there. But I wish that the progressives would hold the same level of standard that they did to Donald Trump by having him take a mental test and an IQ test to make sure that he is cognitively there. I wish they would do that with Joe Biden, but obviously that's not going to happen because, oh boy, that would be bad. That would be really bad. So that's not going to happen. Uh, but of course, now he's turning into just Mr. Creepy Joe, where of course he had to go out during the weekend and talk to a six-year-old girl trying to play Mr. Nice and Mr. Old Grandpa, just lovey-dovey, I love the young kids, and kind of turned it into a creep fest. You know, by the way, I'm all Navy, but uh, I was appointed to the I, Anyway, I was going to go play at the Naval Academy until I found out the other guys in the backfield were a guy named Roger Staubach and Joe, Joe Bellino, so I decided to go to Delaware. But our son, so I, I always used to root for Navy. Thank you, thank you, and I love your ears. Whoa. I love them. They're really cool. What's your name? Catherine. Catherine, what a beautiful name. That's my mommy's name. Well, nice to see. How old are you, 17? Six. Yeah, I get what he's trying to do again. She had little ear things, like little bunny ear things on her head. Oh, those ears are really cute, trying to be Mr. Relatable. Remember, these are the Democrats that don't relate to the common folk. Hillary Clinton had to take classes on how to be relatable to her constituency. That's the elitism that's showing right now, trying to show how you know cute this little girl is. Oh, those ears are super cute. How old are you, 17? Now, again, understand what he's trying to do. I'm not going to mock him and make fun of him for doing that. At the same time... Uh, this is coming from a guy who likes to sniff the hair of little girls and who likes to talk about kids like sitting on his lap and rubbing his hairy legs. So I <laughs> I would be relatively careful with what you do here, Mr. Joe Biden. I know it's your 81st birthday and you're loving the fact that you're getting older, but you've now started to cross the line between like being the happy Uncle Joe that just loves little kids just in a lovable manner to now you're turning into the creepy old guy from Family Guy. Mmm. Yeah, just watching the kids walk by trying to drop off the newspaper in the front door. You've crossed that threshold, Joe Biden. you got to be pretty careful about that. Nonetheless, I guess I would sing happy birthday in like Marilyn Monroe style, but I have standards, so we're not going to do that. Let's get into what's trending today, shall we? What's trending today? I'm curious on whether the Biden-Harris administration actually knows that they're in trouble. I mean, Joe Biden obviously says that he's running for re-election and he's going to win. Kamala Harris says that they're going to do things and they're actually going to focus on uh, they're going to work hard to try and win back over the American people in the 2024 presidential election, which she said, what, just a couple of weeks ago during election time? Last night, I think the American people made clear that they are prepared to stand for freedom and for the individual freedoms and the promise of freedom in America, uh, and by extension, 
It was a good night for democracy. Okay, that was the election from a couple weeks ago. And, of course, talking about the uh, the protection of abortion in the state of Ohio, where, of course, that's going to be their number one issue. That's going to be their number one focal point because they don't have another platform. They don't have anything else. That's all they have. They can't run on the economy. They can't run on immigration. They can't run on Second Amendment. They can't run on foreign policy. They can't run on gas price. They can't run on anything. All they have is social issues to get people angry and to run on abortion issues which they openly admit is what they want and that they have some work to do in other places. Or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling a woman what to do with her body. <laughs> and so it was a good night. And the president and I obviously have a lot of work to do to earn our re-election, but I am confident we're going to win. Yeah. Uh, I know you have to say that on the campaign trail. Hey, how's the campaign? I always And I ask that to candidates, too, and I feel kind of stupid when I do. I'm like, hey, how's the campaign going? Oh, it's going great. I feel totally confident. We're going to win. It's going to be wonderful. It's like asking a football player on how the game's going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to catch the ball, and we're going to run really hard, and we're going to hit really fast, and it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you get the typical response because you have to say that. You can't say, well, the campaign sucks, and we're not gaining any traction, and no one's going to vote for us, and this is stinking, but I'm still in the race. Can't say that. So, of course, they have to say that, but their poll numbers continue to dwindle. Kamala Harris is still ranked as the most least approved vice president in American history since polls have been taken. Joe Biden continues to dwindle massively, but they don't have a replacement. They don't have anybody else that can fill the shoes of the Democrat Party. So all they have to do is keep people angry and fuel that hatred against Republicans and Donald Trump and fight for the abortion issue. And I guess that's all they have to run on. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, it's always wonderful to have you along for the ride as usual. Speaking of, by the way, the abortion issue, which Democrats are going to run on. That's all they have. Again, they don't have any other platform. They've thrown out the Bidenomics movement because we, we realize that Bidenomics is not working. And no matter how many times they tried to say, we created 13 million jobs. Yeah, that's not true. We know that's not true. You can't. Let everybody go during COVID and say, stay at home, you're non-essential, get the hell home and we'll pay you, you know, unemployment numbers. And then say, okay, now you can come back to work and then consider that a new job. Look at that. We just created a new job. I didn't. People are catching on. The lies have been told. And I've always said, uh, you know, remember when your parents, your grandparents always used to say the truth always comes out in the end. Well, the truth is coming out and Bidenomics is an absolute disaster. Food's up near 30% over the past three years under the Biden administration. The overall inflation's up near 20%. You cannot spend massive amounts of money, print massive amounts of money, and then not expect the economy to burst like it is right now. So uh, they've had to scrap that. They've scrapped every Democrat progressive policy. They didn't go as far as they wanted to with climate change initiatives and the Green New Deal. They haven't been able to do their infrastructure bill as planned. And in fact, Pete Buttigieg was an absolute disaster trying to handle that from the Department of Education, which is or from the Department of Transportation, which is why the House voted to try and lower his salary to one dollar. Because, well, you don't deserve to make a lot of money right now during a budget crisis time and when you're not doing a damn thing in the first place. So all they have is a social issue in abortion. 
And apparently they're running off the idea that according to Newsmax.com, the new Wall Street Journal poll shows that the most amount of Americans in U.S. history support abortion at this time with, quote, 55 percent of Americans across the nation thinking that a pregnant woman should be able to legally obtain an abortion for any reason. The survey notes that in this 18% point, that is 18% points higher than the rate in 1977, which is the earliest data available. In the poll, they show that three quarters of Democrats, 77%, believe that abortion access should be available for any reason, which is an increase from 52% in 2016. So the party, obviously, itself, the Democrat Party, has gone farther radical on this issue. One-third of Republicans also believe that abortion access should be available for any reason, though no exact number was provided for those. But roughly one-third of the Republican Party uh, believes on this issue. So that being the case, you know what Democrats are going to run on. So get ready. Abortion is going to be the number one talking point from Democrats for the next year because, again, that's all they have. Here's my question, though. Is it in order for you to campaign on an abortion issue, how do you present an abortion issue? You have to present it in a very negative, very angering, very hateful, very spiteful manner. Andy, what do you mean? Well, the only way that you make abortion a number one top priority is to run and campaign on the fact that Republicans want to steal it away from out from under you. That they, that, yeah, yeah. They want to run it as a campaign saying that if Republicans get their way, they want to go back to the 1950s where you're barefoot pregnant in the House, you're not allowed to have a life as a woman, and that you're subservient to the man. That's the that's not true, but that's the mantra that they're telling the Democrat voters in order for them to go and vote on this issue so that women are empowered, feeling that they can go get an abortion anytime that they want to, instead of having the conversation that maybe we should make that decision before you do the adult activity instead of after the adult activity, that we actually take responsibility for our behaviors. Wow, where did we just hear that from? We just talked about an anti-obesity pill that you can take for Thanksgiving so that way you don't have to have the responsibility of having self-control during Thanksgiving. You can just take the pill and let the pill do it for you. Man, the way the world's turning into is the lack of self-control just let let the AI, let the government, let the Democrats handle it for you. You don't need any personal responsibility. The problem with that argument is you can only stay angry and stay fearful for so long. The negative campaign acts, they'll work for a while, but after a while, anger and fear and hatred is a fatiguing emotion. And if you're going to carry that as your number one campaign tactic for the next year, your voters will get fatigued and they'll begin to tune out because they'll be numb to it. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into it. We are... Moving right along through a Monday today. Can you believe it? Thanksgiving right around the corner. So hard to believe how crazy it is. We'll talk about some more of the uh, elections right around the corner. Because remember, now that we're officially in election mode, you're going to hear nonstop campaigning from all of them. We have the Republican candidates that are fun to listen to for sure. We have the Democrats trying to figure out who the heck they are (laughs) as we move forward. So uh, looking forward to more of those conversations here in just a little bit. But I want to shift gears a little bit here. As you know, there's a lot of conflict going on in the Middle East. We also have conflict elsewhere around the world. I saw a headline just a few days ago, literally from 
the nation of China that went through and arrested a church and arrested about 30 individuals, 30 plus individuals uh, who are trying to uh, have a service just because, well, apparently you're not allowed to have a Christian faith in the nation of China. Very fascinating. And is this something that's ongoing with multiple, obviously, different religions or beliefs around the world? Uh, and is it still ongoing? And how bad is it around the world right now when there are conflicts and wars going on around the nation, uh, around the world that we're not even aware of that are committing mass genocide? So to talk about some of that and more, happy to have on the program... What's trending today? As she is the new author of the book, When the Sickle Swings, the stories of Catholics who survived a communist oppression. Excited to have on the program here with us. And I, I swear I'm going to pronounce her name properly, Kristen Van Uden. Kristen, how are you, my friend? You got it. I'm good, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a wild world, and you don't hear much about this anymore. But are we still seeing the persecution of those of different religious beliefs in different parts of the world just because you're not allowed to have that certain type of faith. Yes, we definitely are. And that was one of my motivations for writing this book is that, as I say on the back cover, throughout almost half of the 20th century, really across nearly half the globe, the Catholic faith in particular was either outright illegal or repressed in some way. And this is something that is slowly leaching out of the collective consciousness. So, of course, we still have communist countries today. The church in China, as you just mentioned, still suffers under this yoke. Cuba, which is a country that I profile quite in detail in the book, is also still a communist country. And <clears throat> beyond that, these stories from these last hundred years, really since 1917, when communism was enshrined in a state really for the first time with the Soviet Union, these stories are something that are quickly being forgotten. And so many of these in the book are taken down for the first time. Some are ones you may have heard of before, but in a new way. And I just felt this call to, from the historian's perspective, add to this record, but also from the perspective of the faith to create and, and memorialize these heroic Catholics who suffered but came out on the other side ultimately hopeful and resilient. Yeah, it is good news that we can fight back and actually see some resiliency. Are we getting better at trying to save some of these individuals uh, around the world, wherever it may be? Are we starting to see uh, pushback and awareness to this to where we can actually start fighting back? Well, it's a difficult question to answer. And as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said of resistance to communism, to paraphrase him, at what point could we have resisted when they came to knock on the door, when they took us down to the the Black Maria was the police car when they took us into the Lubyanka for questioning that the process of these communist regimes was so totalizing, really embodying the spirit of totalitarianism, that resistance was not as possible as it was in, under regimes such as Nazi Germany. So that is a, a difference that I examine in the book between many of these countries. We see that in certain places in Eastern Europe, peaceful protests, as it did in Czechoslovakia and Poland, ended up actually snowballing into these people's movements that advocated for freedom. And then in Cuba, the resistance was much diff more different. It was uh, militant guerrilla warfare resistance that was somewhat funded by U.S. intelligence, but also actually had its roots in this Catholic action movement that uh, really stood for embodying Pius X's principle to restore all things in Christ. So basically, to boldly live the faith in the public sphere, regardless of the consequences. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean being, you know, unpleasant or uh, fighting with people and arguing all the time, but 
basically to just not be apologetic about the faith. So it's it's definitely hard. I think people are reluctant to talk about these taboo issues. And with Thanksgiving coming up, I know everybody will try to avoid politics and religion, for example, but it will come up. But I think the um, the people I interview in the book really provide this blueprint of how to stand up for the faith in this very non-combative way, but that also gives proper witness to God. Yeah, amen to that. It is, it's wild to think that Christianity, Catholic, uh, the Catholics, that, I mean, it's one of the largest religions in the entire world and that we still have persecution going on and that we have throughout these years. And like you said, uh, for anywhere from Europe and down to Cuba, uh, but it seems like there's a trend and there's a pattern with the persecution and it seems to be with bigger, more authoritarian governments that just don't like people looking to a higher power for answers instead of looking towards the government officials. I mean, do we see, do we kind of see a trend that way? Yes. So communism is interesting because it is overtly atheist. So uh, the famous quote of religion as the opiate of the masses, and as Stalin later said, that he sought to be the engineer of souls. So they have a completely inverted cosmology where the state, uh, the dictator, and a human institution replaces the proper place of God. And it's uh, everything is based on this false idea of an earthly utopia that will be achieved sometime in the future when the state will magically wither away and we will be free from want, free from inequality, free from deprivation, and basically it will be heaven on earth. Of course, we know, and uh, the people I interviewed were wise enough to remember that we store our treasures up for heaven for the next life, that this world will pass away, and while ultimately we do our best, to create a better world and leave it better than how we found it. Ultimately, we cannot have this messianic role that that is something that's reserved to God. So um, communism really, as, as Father Vincent Michelli said of atheism, atheism is not necessarily, as we think of it, the absence of worship, but rather it's the worship of idols, because the human urge to worship God is, is hardwired into our DNA and into our souls, and so that never goes away. But when it's not properly oriented to objective truth, it will find an idol in something, whether that be greed or, um, you know, whatever personal sin it is or pride. But also it can be something like one of these totalizing ideologies that promises you the world and provides this framework for participating in something bigger than yourself, ultimately build Interesting. It is a fascinating uh, take on it for sure. We're talking with Kristen Van Uden. She is with the Sophia Institute Press, also author of the book, When the Sickle Swings, Stories of Catholics Who Survived Communist Oppression. The book comes out tomorrow, so you're going to want to check that out on Amazon and other places as well. Uh, Kristen, do you think that we are slowly moving our direction towards that here in the United States as well? We've seen the decrease in people that are actually attending church on a regular basis. And, I mean, like we just talked about, we see the polls that show that as government continues to grow, those that believe in a higher power continue to dwindle because of that focal point in the central government. Are we on that trajectory here, do you think, in the United States? It certainly appears to be that way, unfortunately, that uh, the more freedoms that we give up and the more control that we cede uh, more frequently that can be used against us. So, one example, not from the U.S., but from the West, from uh, the U.K. recently with the U.K. court sentencing the ill baby to death, even though her parents wanted to take her to Italy for treatment and 
Actually, the Italian government even offered her citizenship so that they could take care of their own citizen. Yet the judges, because this is the dark side of socialized healthcare, decided that they knew better and that they could be the arbiters of life and death and the, quote, right to die. And so it's these dangerous ways that it sneaks in that, I mean, this is a nightmare horror story that has ha- has happened before, actually, but is one of these cautionary tales as to what can happen when you give the government this power that is really not anywhere in its in its boundaries. You you cede your own power, and ultimately you turn to the government as one would turn to God. Yeah, yeah, we see that trend happening quite often now. I can only imagine some of these stories. I can't wait to read the book and actually read some of these stories of what people have gone through and how they survived some of this, which is which is fascinating. Where do you think right now is one of the worst places for religious liberty and especially for Christians and for Catholics? Is it still the Cuban area? Is it now China? We just read the story about the arrest of a Chinese uh, a Christian church where people are arrested there. Is that the focal point? Because they are essentially a communist nation right now, and I think that we're seeing the the social credit score and the government centralized power really take hold in that region right now. Yes, I mean, it's hard to beat North Korea in terms of human rights violations, (laughs) but China is definitely one to watch. I do discuss in the book how the national church situation that we see with China right now has its precedent in the communist countries of the 20th century. So, It happened to a certain degree in Czechoslovakia, actually, with a national church. So just a background on what that exactly means. In China, there is sort of the shadow church, the national church, that unfortunately seems to be supported worldwide, even from voices within the Vatican sometimes, that basically feeds to the communist government the power to appoint bishops and to promote party men who are favorable to their positions and basically to usurp this power that rightly belongs to the church. And this is, you know, when it's taken to its full conclusion, a schismatic act. This is kind of what happened with Henry VIII in England, where he declared himself to be the head of the church rather than the Pope. And interestingly, this occurred in Czechoslovakia, where there was a national church and about 11% of priests defected to this church. And They played along with the communist agenda, and because of that, were promoted to positions of power, and they were allowed to keep their church buildings and kind of went along to go along. But the remaining majority of the clergy refused to take this deal, and they remained loyal to the faith and to the Vatican instead, and they had to go underground. So this is what we see in China with the current underground church, where those who refuse to budge even an inch, unfortunately, cannot really open openly practice the faith and have to do so in secret. How scary. How scary. Christian, we got to take a hard break here. Hang on the line. I want to continue this conversation when we come back. It's When the Sickle Swings. You can find it on Amazon, other places as well. Stay right here. With Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes here of the program. Oh, how it flies by oh so quickly. And it's always great to have you along for the ride, which, by the way, we are getting closer to the end of the month again. Hard to believe. With Thanksgiving here officially now, which means December's right around the corner. If you have not signed up, please sign up. It's the newsletter. You can become a Hoosier, the official Hoosier-holic here on this program. By going to the website, H-O-O-S-E-R-Reason.com, you'll ask if uh, you want to sign up for the newsletter. You say yes, type in your email, 
It's totally free. We don't spam you all the time. We just send you a once a month email with our monthly blog and some content for the show and what's going on with the Hoosier Media Network and some other cool stuff. So make sure to sign up for that as that will be out the first Monday for the month of September. Speaking of, let's get back to our guest here. Really happy to have I love this conversation. Super fascinating to me as we continue to battle uh, just any type of oppression that we're seeing, whether it's uh, the identity politics we see in the United States right now, whether it's the ongoing conflict in Israel, whether it's the takeover of the communist regime and the rebranding or the reigniting of the attempted phoenix coming out of the ashes of the Soviet Union trying to take over Ukraine again, whatever the scenario is, when government gets big, oppression happens. And the vast majority of the time, as we've talked about, it happens with those that have religious views. And again, I don't care what those religious views are, but predominantly Christians have been the ones that have been persecuted. Jews and Christians. I don't know. <laughs> Jews and Christians. Everybody goes after the Jews and everybody goes after the Christians. And I just don't understand why. But it's because we don't look to the government for those answers. We look towards a higher power to either help us through it, to give us the strength to do it ourselves, or for that miracle to happen and something to be changed in society overall. And the government just doesn't like that. We're talking with Christian Van Uden. You can find the book, When the Sickle Swings. That came out this week. Uh, stories of Catholics who survived communist oppression. And uh, I can't wait to read some of these stories. Uh, Christian, I, uh, we used to, I'm based out of Kansas here. Our <laughs> former governor, Sam Brownback, uh, is, yeah. at least worked for, I don't know if he still does, I'm assuming he does, worked for the Trump administration as the U.N. ambassador for religious freedoms. He was a very strong Catholic himself. He used a lot of his faith to make decisions as the governor here in the state of Kansas, and he Mm -hmm. tried to bring awareness to a lot of those issues, predominantly focusing on persecution going on in the African countries as well. Uh, Those types of movements, do you think, are are they helping? Just bringing simple awareness to this issue, I would think, at least help the ongoing killing and persecution of those with religious views. Yes, I think awareness is obviously the first step because the greatest tragedies of the 20th century happened first in silence. So, of course, many many countries claimed complete ignorance of the Holocaust for the first you know 10 years because it started in the 30s is what was happening. And then the Soviet starving of Ukraine, the Holodomor famine, was also something that was actively covered up, actually, by news outlets up to and including the New York Times. So, There is certainly a concerted effort on the part of the bad actors to keep this stuff either in the shadows or to normalize it, as we see with the dehumanization of the human person um, in in the abortion conversations, for example, the dehumanization of a baby and just uh, kind of manipulating language in order to either use euphemisms to make things seem not as bad, to cloak it in language of um, just, just distance or outright to just distract with other things. So this, uh, if we're all so self-medicated on social media, for example, and um, can easily be distracted from major things going on in the world just because we are so solipsistic as a society, that breaking through that, kind of breaking through the fourth wall is the way to get these conversations started. Yeah. From what you've heard, and we got just a couple of minutes here, about one minute before we have to wrap up here, but with the ongoing conflict in Israel and, and uh, Hamas right now, obviously there's been a focus on the Jewish community in Israel right now, but do you think the Christian community is being persecuted just as much uh, with that ongoing conflict? Oh, man. Uh, that's a little bit outside my expertise. I know they are suffering due to the conflict that they obviously are kind of just by like they're just pulled into this. Yeah. Um, and 
aren't necessarily at the heart of the, the conflict, but unfortunately are geographically placed there. But they're certainly not in a position um, anywhere in the Middle East to be too comfortable, I would think, as practicing the Christian faith. So kudos to them there, certainly being courageous during this time. Yeah, amen to that. We could go on forever. I love this conversation, and to bring awareness to it is so important. So thank you for what you're doing. Everybody, I highly encourage you to go and check out this book, When the Sickle Swings, Stories of Catholics Who Survived Communist Depression, Learn What the Heck's Going On with the crazy genocidal maniacs at our tyrannical government oppressors that don't like the religious individuals. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I loved it. Happy Thanksgiving to you. we got to get you back on the show again soon. Thank you so much. Take care. You as well. Appreciate it very much. There it is. Scary stuff, man. It should reinforce the idea that we live in a great nation where we have the right to practice any religion we want to as long as it doesn't oppose anybody else and infringe upon anybody else. And a lot of people take advantage of that scenario, but we have to remember the great rules and values that we have in this nation, and a lot of people have forgotten that. That's it for us today. Everybody have a great one. We'll see you on the radio.